0: all right ladies and gentlemen you are locked on falcons i'm your host aaron freeman and today i'm giving you my rapid reaction to the falcons 43 to 3 beat down at the hands of the dallas cowboys in Week 10. you are locked on falcons your daily atlanta falcons podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at Falcfans, putting up weekly content over at the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons, that is thefalcaholic.com, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And on today's episode, we will be giving you our my rapid reaction to the Falcons' Week Ten loss to the Dallas Cowboys by a score of forty-three to three. We'll be breaking down the game summary, what went wrong for the Falcons. I, normally, I would say what went right, but not much went right for the Falcons. We'll give out some great game grades, lowest graded game for me for this team so far this season, uh, and we'll get some final thoughts. At the end of today's episode, talking about the direction of the team, not only given the short week coming up on Thursday night against the New England Patriots, as well as the sort of bigger picture, taking a step back and looking at the general direction of this team. Uh moving forward. So we'll get into all of that on today's episode. But before we do, I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify, as well as now on YouTube. Make sure you go subscribe to the Lockdown Falcons YouTube page. And when you check us out, make sure you leave a comment, make sure you leave a like, and all that jazz. So jumping right into the game. You know, things didn't start off too poorly for the Falcons. It it looked like they were going to make this a game. You know, obviously the Cowboys went down the field immediately and scored seven points on their opening possession, but that's pretty much par for the course whenever the Falcons face a a decent offense this year. Uh, And, you know, then they followed that up with three points of their own. You know, they couldn't get a, a catch from Russell Gage in traffic on a third down pass with the ball hitting the ground and the Falcons had to settle for young Waku uh, kicking a 35 yard field goal. And that, you know, made the score seven to three at that point in time. And then the Falcons actually got to stop. Uh, they were able to force a punt in Dallas with Zeke Elliott dropping a, a third down pass. Uh, and then, you know, you, you, you saw, What was the beginnings of a good drive starting off with Kyle Pitts? He had a good start to this game. He had three catches for 52 yards combined on the first two possessions of the game. You also saw positive uh, plays for Cordero Patterson uh, getting a good start, having 34 34 combined yards on four touches on those first two drives. But then on that second drive, you know, the Falcons went to Kyle Pitts again and Cowboys nickel cornerback Jordan Lewis was there to break up the pass on the third and seven and the Falcons decided to go for it on fourth and seven and Arthur Smith got aggressive and Jordan Lewis showed up again and and broke up the pass uh, on to Russell Gage on that fourth down play. And this was kind of the point in the game where it was pretty much over for the Falcons. They they would never really show much of anything after this point in time. And I'm not going to sit here and do what the broadcast team did and, and suggest that this was the sort of the turning point in the game. The Falcons clearly had plenty of other opportunities later in this game to get back into the game. Um, but, you know, this would basically be the last time that they were actually in the game. Uh, So as for the decision to go forward on fourth down, I I certainly questioned it in the moment. I certainly think given the lack of execution, it's fair to question it after the moment. Um, I'm sure analytics will say that it was the right call for Arthur Smith. And I could see that from a certain standpoint. You know, I looked it up after the game and you go back and look at all the fourth and sevens over the last five plus years going back to 2016. uh, And teams convert about 43 percent of the time. And they were looking at a 49-yard field goal from Young Wei Koo, which isn't automatic, but given that Koo is basically five for five in his over the last three years from that distance, and the Cowboy Stadium is is a pretty kicker-friendly environment, I think kickers collectively are about like four for five or five for six from that distance over the last three years in that stadium. Uh, you you would assume that you know this was pretty much an automatic three points for the Falcons, but if you do the math and you say okay if the 43% chance of converting on a fourth and seven, you know, by going for it and that leads to seven points, you know, it's 43% chance of seven points roughly is about three points. And, you know, if it's a hundred percent chance or 99% chance of, of three points on the field goal, three points, roughly the analytics would, I guess, suggest it if that's how these fourth down calculators work, that's how I assume they do. Um, I don't know, but you, you would say it's a wash, right? And so going for it was, just as likely to to net you the same amount of points as kicking the field goal. So it makes sense to go for it, to be aggressive in that situation. Um, And, you know, it was interesting when you look at the teams, when looking it up, the teams that went for on fourth and seven in the first quarter, which wasn't frequent, you know, only about 12 out of like the 106 uh, attempts came in the first quarter over the last five plus years. And those 12 times, you know, teams converted, I think like 70% of the time or 69% of the time or whatever it was, but only one of those teams was in at the field position that went for it, you know, where they had to kick a field goal under 50 yards in that situation, like the Falcons found themselves in. And so typically when teams went for it early in the game on a fourth and seven, it was because they were likely going to have to kick a 54 yard field goal or 60 yard field goal, which is far from automatic at that point in time. But you know, 49 seems pretty automatic based off of Ku's history uh, or, or whatever the case may be. So while I think it's more than fair to the question, the decision that the Falcons decided to go for it, I'm not going to really make a mountain out of a molehill. Obviously I've spent a, a good little while talking about it because I kind of definitely want to have my take on it. Um, but you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, Arthur Smith is bad at game management and he costs us the game or anything like that. I just think, you know, it's going to be something that is going to get discussed and debated quite a bit. And I think it's worthy of discussion and debate, but it's not to me this sort of, huge deal that like decided the fate of the game or is something that we need to worry about for the future of this team. It's one play. It didn't go the Falcons way. It is what it is. You know, you just kind of have to move on, but you know, with that favorable field position that the Falcons got after that failed conversion, the the Cowboys went for their own fourth and five uh, in scoring position. They would have wound up kicking a 50 yard field goal at that point. They got aggressive. They went for it. And Ceedee lamb, uh, you know, showed, why they had confidence in going for it. He beat Avery Williams on a 21-yard gain. Then a few plays later, Dallas scored from the one-yard line on the Zeke Elliott run, and that pushed their lead 14-3. to They would then score again on their next possession, also in converting a fourth down, this time a fourth and three. Again, they had an opportunity to settle for three points. Uh, you know, going for a 42-yard field goal at that point in time. But Michael Gallup in his first game back after injury got a 23-yard gain on that particular play, finding a soft spot in the Falcons' cover two zone as so many receivers and tight ends have found this season. And, and then the next play, Zeke punched it in from the two-yard line, and the Cowboys had a 21-3 lead with eight minutes to go in the first half. And then the Falcons had their second consecutive three and out, ending with Dorrance armstrong Beating Jalen Mayfield for a sack. Dallas then marched the field the ball down the field again. Lamb beating Williams in the end zone for a nine-yard touchdown pass, uh giving Dallas the dreaded 28-3 lead with one minute left in the first half. And you would assume, okay, the Falcons maybe have enough time to march down the field, get a field goal with them getting the ball at the start of the second half, maybe go down the field, get a touchdown again. You know, they still have a, a huge hole to dig out of at this point in time, 20, down to 28 down twenty eight to three. but you know, if they can come out and get like 10 points uh, on these next two possessions, it's, you know, it's a two score game and, and they'll have a chance in the second half. So of course, uh, first down Falcons, give up a sack. This time, Kayla McGarry basically got juked by Micah Parsons. Matt Ryan fumbles the football. Fortunately, the Falcons recover it. Then on second down, Anthony Brown breaks up a, a pass as Alameda Zaccheaus. Then on third and 19 at this point in time, the Falcons just run a play to Mike Davis uh, just to try to get some positive field position to punt the ball. Uh, and then the punt is blocked by Doran's Armstrong, who got the sack two plays earlier. Nation Wright recovers the football in the end zone for a touchdown. Dallas kicks the extra point. They make it but the Falcons get called for a too many men on the field penalty. So Dallas goes for two after that point, and Zeke punches it in, and, and now Dallas has a 36-3 lead going into halftime. And rest, the rest of the game was pretty much the Falcons failing to make it at, at the least interesting. They had a three-and-out on offense to start the half. Matt Ryan then threw a pick on the second series uh, of the third quarter, uh, and that was mostly on the wide receiver. In this case, Alameda. kids getting out-muscled in traffic by Anthony Brown, then in the next possession Matt Ryan threw another interception. Uh, this time he had pressure in his face, um, but this one I think was on the quarterback because uh, even though he had that pressure in his face, he threw high and behind uh, Kyle Pitts and it was picked off by uh, Trayvon Diggs. You still got to make those throws. You're going to find pressure in this league. We've seen Matt Ryan make these throws with pressure in his face. So that to me is on the quarterback as well as the offensive line to a certain degree. Um, And then after that point, you know, the third quarter ended and the Falcons pulled their starters, uh, put Josh Rosen in the game. Wayne Goleman basically was running out the clock. I think 48 of his team leading 55 yards came in after that point in the fourth quarter. Uh, Rosen himself threw an interception to start the fourth quarter on a miscommunication to Kyle Pitts uh, where that ball was tipped by Anthony Brown, picked off by Jordan Lewis, Anthony Brown, Jordan Lewis, played the games of their lives. (laughs) They look like superstars in this game. Um, You know, Dallas got their final score right before that Josh Rosen interception. Uh, where the Falcons put their backups in the game. They had a methodical drive. Uh, they had a couple of penalties on that drive that pushed them back, but still were able to keep moving the chains despite that giving uh, the Falcons defense some help with those penalties. Uh, and, you know, they couldn't, the defense couldn't get any stops. And, and Dak ultimately ran it in on a four-yard rollout on a scramble and, and kind of outmuscled Michael Walker at the goal line uh, to get that 40th third score so that's essentially a game summary not a whole lot to write home about in the second half and we'll get into the grades and you know spoiler alert they're not going to be great as we continue today's lockdown falcons podcast but you know whether the falcons you know disappointing you is a familiar outcome let's talk about another familiar outcome you're watching uh the game on one device you're trying to catch your streams of your favorite shows on another one. You're watching sports highlights on your phone. And then you got your father's brothers, nephews, cousins, former roommate, Deborah's login for your preferred streaming service. Well, I want to tell you about a way to get all the entertainment that you love simply without any of the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. And it's called direct TV stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes. No, never having to buy another device ever again. And the best part besides not having to borrow Deborah's login is there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with direct TV stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com compatible device required content varies by package. So getting into the Falcons game grades as we do each and every Sunday on this rapid reaction, giving out grades for the passing offense, rushing offense, passing defense, rushing defense, as well as special teams, starting with the passing offense D minus, um, you know, I, I don't feel like giving an F is fair, but feels like I give them the worst possible grade without giving them an F. Uh, this was a rough game for Matt Ryan. I don't think he was terrible or anything, but it was, certainly fits in that category of games that he's had quite a few of this year, which is pretty meh performances. I, I feel like he's had four up to this point now, five with this Dallas game. And and then you contrast that with four really, really good games where he played outstanding in those games. Um, you know, as I said earlier, that first pick was on Zacchaeus. The second one I think was on the quarterback, even with pressure in his face, you look at the, the weapons, you know, Kyle Pitts was cooking early in this game. Again, had three catches for 52 yards on, like, basically the Falcons' first six or seven plays or whatever it was, and then had one catch for eight yards the rest of the game. Uh, the Falcons' wide receivers had a combined one catch on six targets for zero yards in the first half of this game. Uh, he got Pitts got no help. Patterson got no help. Uh, that lone catch in the first half was Tajay Sharp on a rollout, which was basically a check down at that point in time. Zaccheaus finished the game with two catches for 22 yards. Russell Cage was once again for the third time this season blanked with zero catches on three targets. You know, we we got a big week from this wide receiver group last week. They, you know, stunk the bed, let's say that, <laughs> to to not use colorful terms. And so whether it's Marvin Hall, whether it's Calvin Ridley moving forward, you know, hopefully somebody's going to come in and and help this, Unit and give this offense a shot in the arm. He then couple that with Hayden Hurst injuring his ankle late in the game where he got rolled up on. So you wonder about his status moving forward. Uh, so, you know, this Falcons passing attack we'll get later in the episode talk about, you know, needing to have weapons around Matt Ryan. Um, but, you know, certainly did not look the part. This week and we'll see if they look the part, you know, on Thursday, more on that later. But, uh, you know, the offensive line in terms of their performance was not great. But, uh, you know, we, we went into this game feeling pretty confident. Okay, the offensive line will hold up well. Uh, Dallas's pass rush won't be a huge factor because Randy Gregory's now out for a while won't play in this game. You know, I don't I don't think Dallas was dominant up front by any means you know, but they did get some pressure and it seemed like when they got pressure, it counted, whether it was sacks or or a hit on the quarterback. They finished the game with two sacks, five quarterback hits. Uh, That seems like a pretty typical stat line for an NFL offense of line, you know, in today's NFL. So it's hard for me to be too harsh on the offensive line and say, oh, they played poorly. Maybe the film will will suggest otherwise, but, you know, just for whatever reason, whether it was the offensive line, the quarterback or the running game or, or the weapons, the Falcons offense didn't have it. And speaking of the running game, I give that unit a D. As I said, you know, Gallman was eating, you know, stack padding stats in garbage time late in the game. Falcons finished the game with 103 rushing yards, uh, uh, you know, and, and most of that came in garbage time. You know, it's hard to figure out exactly when garbage time started. Was it the third quarter? Was it, you know, the fourth quarter? whatever the case may be, because the Falcons were still kind of running the ball in the third quarter, trying to balance their offense midway through the third quarter. But you wonder if that was because they just didn't want to put the offensive line in a situation where Cowboys defensive line could just pin their ears back and get after Matt Ryan at that point in time. That's why they were running it. Or they were just simply – trying to shorten the game and basically at that point when it was 36 to three, be like, look, we're not winning this game. We might as well just shorten the game and get out of here as quickly as possible. So I don't know. Um, you know, if you don't count the third quarter, you're looking at the Falcons rushing success. They had uh, 31 yards on 11 carries in the first half. So a success rate of 18% on those 11 carries. And, and last week we gave the Falcons rushing attack an F grade when they had a success rate of what? 10% on 20 carries. Um, if you look at their success rate in the third quarter, they did a little bit better, uh, 60% on five carries. So that pads things out. So if you don't want to count that as garbage time, that, you know, boost the numbers a little bit. So it's not nearly as bad, um, but it's hard to give them too much credit. You know, when they're down 30 points and they're finding some success rushing the football at that point in time. So I, I went with a D, not an F a D better than last week, but not by much passing defense D minus uh, you know, it's harder for me to be as harsh with the defense, despite giving them low grades as I'm going to give them just because we kind of knew that Dallas's offense was going to cook against this um, Falcons defense. Now, if you had told me, you know, the morning of the game, Oh, Dallas is going to score 43 points. i had been like, yeah, probably. That's probably what they're going to do. Now, if you had told me 36 of those will come in the first half, I would have been like, wow. Yeah, that's, that's tough. You know, I would have thought maybe like 24 of, of those 43 points would have come in the first half. So certainly the defense did not play well at all. You know, we knew our cornerbacks outside of A.J. Terrell were going to be overmatched, but even he gave up a couple of receptions in this game to Michael Gallup. Um, you know, um, you know, we, we knew C.D. Lamb in the slot was going to be a, a major problem for this matchup. We saw a healthy mix of, of Avery Williams. We saw some Richie Grant early in the game as well, but it seemed predominantly Avery Williams. And, you know, C.D. Lamb showed why Avery Williams was considered to mostly be a special teams guy, not really a viable starting nickel cornerback. So, um, you know, the the good thing that you can say about Richie Grant is he did force a fumble later in this game, although, you know, that doesn't go towards the credit of the past, even as a run defense of issue. Uh, You know, he forced a fumble on Zeke Elliott in the third quarter, but I think the Falcons immediately threw an interception right after that. So they didn't even benefit from that turnover. Um, We didn't see much of any pressure on Dak Prescott in this game. Even though Dante Fowler was active for this game, was elevated off injured reserve on Saturday, and you thought maybe he could feast a little bit on, on Terrence Steele. I don't recall Dante Fowler doing anything as a pass rusher in this game. The Falcons finished with zero sacks and, and two quarterback hits, um, and uh, it seemed like maybe two or three plays max where the Falcons really affected the quarterback in this game. Uh, but hey, you know Stephen Means wasn't playing so it's all good, as I've been told many, many times before. So moving on to the rushing defense, C-minus, relatively speaking, this was the best part of the Falcons team today. They they, they did a decent job at points in this game stopping the run. Um, you know, Dallas – did not have a lot of success in the first quarter running the football. They did have a a lot more success in the second quarter running the football. So that kind of skews the numbers a little bit. If you just look at the first quarter, uh, the Falcons looked like they were picking up where they left off, you know, those last three quarters last week where they shut down the Saints running game. Uh, Dallas only had a success rate of 29% on their seven first quarter runs, only gained 12 yards on those seven runs. But then in the second quarter, Dallas had a success rate of 64% on 11 runs for 34 carries. And it wasn't like they were gashing the Falcons by huge yardage. A lot of those yards, why their yards per carry was low because a lot of those runs were short runs, but they were in short yardage situations. The the Cowboys had six instances where they had three yards or less to go uh, to convert and ran running the football and they were able to convert five of those six times. And the one time they didn't, they got two yards on a, like a second on a first and three at the goal line or whatever. And then on the very next play punched it in uh, for the score. So the Falcons did an okay job. Again, you have to sort of parse through it looking at sort of first downs, first and 10, the Falcons did a good job stopping Dallas's running game on those early downs for the most part. You know, in the first half, you know, Dallas only had a success rate of 33% on those first and 10 runs. Um, So I can't really say the run defense was good today, but they did some good things. They they certainly had one of their better days, and, and that made me want to give them a C grade. Uh, because relatively speaking, this was probably like the second best day that they've had as a run defense this season. But because they got pushed around so often in short yardage and as frequently as they did, like they had given up one or two short yardage things. Like, that's one thing. But, you know, they basically get pushed around five or six times in short yardage is, is certainly not good. So I had to lower it to a, a C minus. Uh, so you know, I, I feel like the Falcons' run defense is making some progress. Again, we're we're looking for the the sliverous of, of bright spots. Hey, the run defense was not terrible in a game where the Falcons lost by forty points. Uh, so this is this is the only bright spot we could come up with in this game. Uh, and you know, Grady Jarrett and, and Foyer Aluikun were the guys that seemingly were making the majority of those plays. Aluikun did get nicked up in this game. Um, we'll see what his status is. Darren Bates, his replacement got nicked up in this game. AJ Terrell exited the game with seemingly a concussion, um, but seemed okay. But I think at that point in the time, the Falcons were like, why are we going to put him back in the game? Uh, like I, I remember a play immediately when they showed AJ Terrell on the sideline, Darren Hall gave up a, a big catch to, um, I think it was Amari Cooper, uh, that wound up setting up, I think that last score for, um, Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, so, you know, Jalen Hawkins exited the game with an ankle injury. So the Falcons got pretty beat up in this game, not only on the scoreboard, but, you know, in terms of the injuries and whatnot. So we'll see what happens this week on a short week. That probably means that given that they have a short week and, and some of these guys are dealing with injuries, we might be down a couple of starters, uh, on Thursday night against the Patriots, but, uh, we'll move forward and talk about sort of what direction the team is headed in on this short week going up against the Patriots, as well as talking about some of the big picture stuff. But before we get there, I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And as always, I have a recommendation for your second listen and several recommendations. I'm going to continue to recommend the other local shows here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, uh, devoted to the Atlanta Hawks, Atlanta Braves, as well as the Georgia Bulldogs. Locked on Hawks is available on a variety of podcast platforms, just like Locked on Bulldogs and Locked on Braves are, but Locked on Bulldogs and Locked on Braves are both also available on YouTube. So if you're watching me on YouTube, then you can go check out those shows immediately after on YouTube as well. And we'll continue today's Locked on Falcons podcast. The, the only bright spot uh, for today is that Coconut Brownie Chunk is back as a flavor for built bar. It was the winner of the built bar March madness tourney for the best flavor, you know, but it's only back for a limited time. So go ahead and try the best flavor of the best tasting protein bar out there on the market. And I got to say, this is 100% real guys. This is not just doing an ad read coconut brownie chunk is the real deal, right? I'm, I'm a big fan of coconut. I know there's a lot of people in the locked on group chat that we have uh, that are not big fans of coconut. Um, but, It was good enough to convert a couple of people there and be like, maybe I'm not as anti-coconut as I want to be. So if you're a fan of coconut, I I guarantee that you will love the coconut brownie chunk. If you're not a fan of coconut, there's still a decent chance that you might wind up loving it. But if not, then there's still tried and true flavors like peanut butter brownie, mint brownies, salted caramel, cookies and cream, raspberry, double chocolate, and many, many more. Regardless of the flavor that you try, built Bars are great because they taste just like a candy bar. You get none of the guilt, though, because they're healthy since they're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. So go order yourself the coconut brownie chunk or another flavor at Bilt.com right now. And make sure you use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code lock 15 for 15% off at Bilt.com. So we know that football season is in full swing. And of course, bet online is the number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. But bet online is not just for football. It's for betting all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet online is the number one spot with a new updated website and interface and even more odds, props and contests head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Use the promo code locked on and you'll get 50 percent welcome bonus that means if you deposit 500 bucks you get 250 dollars in free money to play with and i know i told you guys the falcons would probably cover this game i've told you many times never take my advice on a falcons bet um maybe you lost money on the falcons maybe you made money on the falcons or made money today so you maybe you want to make a little bit more money or maybe you want to make up some of that lost money uh by checking out the monday night game between the rams and 49ers the rams favored by three and a half points in that game, I'm not going to give you a recommendation because I don't want to <laughs> give you bad advice, but head over to Online, however you feel about that game, and check out all the amazing offers available for this season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So getting into my final thoughts of the game, you know, my stance has always been things are never as good as you think they are. They're never as bad as they think they are. And I think, you know, the tendency for a lot of fans i think is to have these wild pendulum swings so after they lost to carolina it was people were very down on the falcons after they beat new orleans people were very high on the falcons and then now i think people are going to be down once more on the falcons and you know i try to stay even-keeled you know that pendulum doesn't really swing very far for me basically it swings between whether i feel like the team is a 7-win team or maybe they got a better than decent chance of being an 8-win team Right, so when they lose like they do today, I'm like, ah, the odds went down that they're going to win eight games. After last week, after the Saints game, I'm like, ah, the odds went up that they might win eight games. But I, I felt for a while now, you know, going back, you know, three or four weeks, when a listener asked a question about what I think the Falcons' final record is going to be, you know, I, I said then it's probably going to be seven and ten. I, I still look at the schedule and see Detroit and Jacksonville and, and that second game against Carolina as three likely wins, and then pretty much every other game as a likely loss. Now they certainly could steal a win here. They, that could happen against New England. That could happen against San Francisco. That could happen for somebody else. They could also, you know, choke against the Lions, the Jags, or, or Carolina. Um, all of those things are possibilities, um, you know, and I think you, you can't go these extreme guys where it's like the Falcons lose and oh, well, now we got a tank for a top five pick. Or when they win, it's like, well, we're, we're going to run the table and we're going to go to the postseason. You know, I just think you, you can't have these extremes and, and you know, they could easily beat the Patriots on Thursday, right? And then, you know, people are going to act like the Falcons are never going to lose again. And, you know, what I'll say about this upcoming Thursday night game is Thursday night games are weird, right? We saw this this past week with the Dolphins and Ravens. They tend to be wonky, right? They're they're similar to London games where you have a tendency for one team to not show up on the short week. Um, And, you know, we've seen that time and time again over the years. So even though we sit here and, you know, if you had asked me, Today, or you asked me two weeks ago, do I think the Falcons are going to beat the Patriots? No. Um, didn't think that a month ago. Don't think that today. Uh, and certainly today's performance didn't change my opinion on that, or is unlikely to change my opinion on that. But they could easily beat this Patriots. The Patriots are not this juggernaut of a football team. They're kind of a middle-rung team. And... You know, we've seen the Falcons beat other middle run teams like the Saints this year, so it's certainly possible that the Falcons can get their first win in Mercedes-Benz Stadium this week on on a short week after this abysmal performance. Because we know any given Sunday and all that sort of thing. So, you know, the last little tidbit I'll get into the wrap up today's episode is more big picture directional stuff. You know, I'm sure some of the things I'll say will. Get some flack, you know, maybe some people will jump in the comments here on YouTube. Some people uh, will send some angry emails or or go on various other platforms and and complain about it. So uh, I'm well aware that I'll get some flack from this Um, because, you know, some of the things I'm going to say don't fit certain narratives. But I I watched this game and I felt like this is the type of game where you you feel the loss of Julio Jones. And as I said back in June, you know, Julio Jones is that stabilizing force in your offense and you need that, uh, moving forward. And look, Matt Ryan is a good quarterback, but at this point in in time in his career, more often than not, he's going to be a game manager. We've seen Matt Ryan play at a really high level. And that is not a coincidence that that comes in games where you get big performances from Cordero Patterson or Kyle Pitts or whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying this to be a knock. Right. You know, Matt Ryan is the very, very best version of a game manager. I know that term is often a loaded term and used as a pejorative when it comes to quarterbacks. But to use a a better analogy, if Matt Ryan was an NBA point guard, he's not a guy that's going to get you 20 and and 10 every night. He's going to get you like 12 and 12. Right. 12 points, 12 assists. Right. He's a distributor. That's what he is. Right. And you need to surround that guy on a basketball court with guys that can be spot up shooters, low post, low post scores and all that various things. Um, and it's a similar thing with football. You need weapons for him to throw to. Right. Because we know Matt Ryan can get the ball in the hands of his playmakers if he's given time and he has those playmakers to have. And today he didn't have those playmakers. And that's been a through line throughout the season. The, the ups and downs of this Falcons offense has been coinciding with not having those playmakers. And, you know, part of the reason why Matt Ryan gets the grief that he gets from fans and media is, you know, he's a 12 and 12 guy uh, to use this basketball analogy in an era where you have a lot of teams that, you know, a lot of successful teams that have quarterbacks that are more 20 and 10 guys that when they're, they need their quarterback to go out there and make plays himself to drive to the hoop and, and do all the things that we love and whatnot and, and, and drop 25 points in a game. Those quarterbacks do that more frequently. That's not to say here say Matt Ryan never does that, but more frequently than Matt Ryan does. Um, and, you know, this is kind of the problem that you have when you replace Julio Jones, that stable force, with someone like Kyle Pitts. And I'm not blaming Kyle Pitts for the loss or anything. He was, you know, he's the type of player that can get you 30 points a night. When you have a ball distributor, point guard like Matt Ryan, you know, if whether you want to call Pitts a spot-up shooter or a low post-score or whatever the case may be, you know, he's that guy, he's that, you know, Matt Ryan, Sean Stockton to use to date myself in my basketball analogies. Matt Ryan, John Stockton, and Kyle Pitts is Karl Malone, I guess you could say. Um, and so he, he can he can do that stuff. And you're going to have games where Kyle Pitts is, is killing it, you know, playing at an MVP level. And then you're going to have games where Kyle Pitts is going to have like 12 points, right? You know, he's going to go 30 one night and 12 the next night. He's going to go 40 one night and then 10 the next night. Whatever, and that's that's what happens with a rookie. And again, I'm not blaming this loss. On Kyle Pitts, but you're going to get a lot more, you know, ups and downs from a rookie than you were with a player like Julio Jones. And in those games where Kyle Pitts is only going to get you 12, and again today I think he was on the verge of getting 30, uh, you know, based off of his first quarter. Uh, if we're continuing this basketball analogy, but then it stopped. And one of the things I certainly want to investigate when I watch the film this week is why did it stop? But in those games where you're only getting 12 from Kyle Pitts, uh, you, you need other guys to step up. And last week. Other guys stepped up. You need 12 from Russell Gage. You need 18 from Cordero Patterson. You need, you know, 15 from Alameda Zacchias or or whatever the case may be. And if you get those, you're going to have still uh, as much success in this offense as you would with Julio Jones going off or or Kyle Pitts going off and all those various things. But because those guys aren't reliable scorers, every night, you know, to use a basketball analogy or in football every week, you're not going to get those points. You know, some weeks Russell Gage is going to get you 12, some weeks Russell Gage is going to get you two right. To continue the basketball scoring analogy. So, you know, we thought Calvin Ridley would be that sort of stabilizing force for the offense this season. That has obviously not been the case, but, you know, I I think even that was questionable a little bit because that's never really been Ridley's type of game. You know, we think Ridley is, is capable of doing it, but we haven't necessarily seen Ridley go out there each and every week and and give you the six to seven catches uh, to move away from the basketball stuff uh, to, six or seven catches for 80, 90 yards that we regularly got over a decade with Julio Jones. Um, and, and that, you know, again, that's why we loved Julio Jones, because he was that guy. He was that guy. If you were a fan of basketball, you would go to the game each and every night. He's going to get you 30 points every night and you're going to enjoy it. And, and again, you know, I know that's when healthy. But, like, that's what's so weird to me, like, over the last six months, that that narrative has shifted, that we pretended that that wasn't the case for a decade and why we loved Julio Jones. But, again, this is not about Julio Jones. This is really about that conversation that we had in June where we were talking about you need that stabilizing force. And until the Falcons get that stabilizing foundational force in their offense week to week, they're going to have ups and downs like this. They're going to have some weeks where – their offense is clicking like we've seen this year. And there's going to have some weeks where their offense is struggling like we saw today. Um, and, and that's going to be the ups and downs. And I remember having this conversation where it's like, Julio, you're losing that stabilizing force that Julio is. That you know each and every week you're going to get X from Julio Jones. You know that the defense is going to entirely game plan around stopping Julio Jones and you can build off that's your foundation for your offense and whether it was Julio Jones for the last decade Michael Turner for the previous years Vic and Dunn and and Duckin in the DVD days uh in the in the past and and what that's going to be in the future whether that's going to be Kyle Pitts, whether it's going to be Calvin Ridley, whether it's going to be another pass catcher, whether it's going to be the running game. That's what Derrick Henry was for Arthur Smith in Tennessee. And there's very few teams in the NFL, very few successful teams in the NFL that don't have that sort of foundational player. And it it doesn't necessarily have to be one player, right? You could be a a run-first team that has a great offensive line. You basically can have this thought process of we can put anybody behind our offensive line and he'll rush for, you know, 90 plus yards and we'll be able to run the football. You know, that's basically when the, the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan have been successful. It hasn't been because they had one workhorse running back like a Derek Henry. It's been a committee system. And it's like the system uh, leads us to have our success, you know, w- when that offense has been clicking. So you can have that here in Atlanta too. So it's not to sit here and say, it has to be one guy. Right. But, that's gonna be something that the Falcons gonna to have to work on. And and maybe in year two, when Kyle Pitts has had a full year under his belt, he'll be able to do that. Maybe next year, Calvin Ridley, when he's come back and and whatever he's dealing with and more comfortable in the system and the system is more comfortable with his skill set, he'll he'll be that sort of stabilizing force. Or or maybe the Falcons will be able to find, you know, their Derrick Henry or whatever the case may be. But the Falcons are gonna to need to have that moving forward, particularly in the twilight of Matt Ryan's career. And again, this is not a knock on Matt Ryan, despite me not necessarily singing the praises of Matt Ryan, like maybe other people uh, on other platforms would do as they have done often this year. I- I'm not knocking Matt Ryan. This is just to me, the reality of the situation. This is, this is just as true as Matt Ryan, as it is with Drew Brees, with Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, Peyton Manning, any old quarterback, you know, any quarterback, 36, 37, you have to work harder to put, them in a comfortable environment. And that means putting playmakers around them. And that is true of a 36, any 36, 37 year old quarterback compared to when they were 26 or 27 or 32 or 33 during their prime years. This is just the nature of the beast. And again, I don't have any marriages to any narratives pro or anti Matt Ryan. It's just like, this is the way it's going to be. And, you know, when I hear Falcon fans saying like, all we just need to do is get Matt Ryan a defense. I'm like, yeah, we need to get Matt Ryan a defense and an offensive line and a running game and weapons to throw to, you know, and you know, even if they had a defense, like they would have what lost this game twenty four to three or something like that, so like even if you gave Matt Ryan a defense, it wouldn't have made that much of a difference uh in today's outcome in my opinion, and this is kind of what I was getting at when I was discussing you know this with Jeff Schultz this past Tuesday on the podcast where it feels like the Falcons are kind of doing the same thing over again. And they're just going to have to find a balance moving forward, you know, with their offense and their defense moving forward as they rebuild this roster and rebuild this team and and hopefully have a brighter future than certainly, you know, it looked like on Sunday. And I think, you know, a lot of fans have convinced themselves over the years that, you know, they couldn't find that balance because Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn were complete incompetence. And now that we've hired Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith, they're going to do it right, or whatever the case may be, and they'll be able to f- strike that balance. And, and maybe they can. But I think the, the reality that fans have to acknowledge, or I guess they don't have to do anything, but should acknowledge, is that you know finding that balance in terms of rebuilding the offense, rebuilding the defense, and, and making these twilight years of Matt Ryan, whether it's two years, whether it's five years, whatever the case may be, the best possible twilight years that he can have, as we've seen with other older quarterbacks, looking at you, Drew Brees, looking at you, Tom Brady, you know, that's a tough task is the point. It's a tall order to find that balance. And that's not an easy job to do. And I think rather than just simply saying, oh, well, we just had to hire the right guy and they're going to do it because the other guys didn't do it. I don't think acknowledges that that inherently, is an uphill battle, in my opinion. And, you know, that's a conversation that is going to be hard to completely unpack in the final five to 10 minutes of today's podcast. And that's going to be a conversation that it may take us five to 10 months to discuss it, if not years, to, to, to truly unpack. And this is part of the reason why you've heard me for six months now on this podcast say, I am fascinated by what this regime is going to do next off season, because they're going to have to, Start moving in a direction, I don't know what that direction is going to be, but trying to find that balance moving forward is I'm fascinated to see what they do so again, these are topics of conversation that I can't truly explore fully at the end of today's episode, so it will be something um of discussion as we continue over the next days and weeks on the podcast. But tomorrow we'll be back with a guest to talk more about this game, and maybe I'll be able to you know throw some of these Topics and conversations and questions that that person and they'll give their take on it on a future episode. But if you have any feedback on anything I've said or anything you want to vent a little bit about the Falcons' performance, by all means, uh, you know my my inbox is open over at lockdownfalcons at mail dot com. Of course, you can always hit me up on social media on lockdownfalcons either on Facebook or on uh, you Twitter. And on YouTube, you can leave a comment, of course. Make sure you give us a like while you do, uh, telling me why I'm wrong or why I'm right or, you know, what, what your thoughts are on this. And, of course, don't ever take my advice again on, on a Falcons bet. Why would you? You know, uh, you know, I am obligated to give my opinions on who I think you guys should bet on, but why would you take it with anything more than a grain of salt when you have places like On Bets available for you? Handicapping expert Lee Sterling is giving you his daily picks, and, and Lee's been killing it this season. You know, not just in terms of football, but basketball, baseball. You know, all the sports. So don't ever listen to me with betting advice. Just subscribe to Locked On Bets, and it's free and available on, on a variety of podcast platforms. So go check out Locked On Bets, guys, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more on this Falcon team and this loss, and and how the Falcons move forward on a short week as uh, we we see what's what with this Falcon team. So appreciate it guys till then.